Welcome to Laughter for All. It's the podcast with comedian Nazareth. Okay, well, let's start official. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Hi, Laughter everybody. for All podcast with my friend, entertainer Mark Lowry. If you don't know Mark, of course you do. He's a singer, songwriter, author, humorist. He is best known for putting the lyric to the Christmas classic, Mary, Did You Know? He actually wrote the words for this song, ladies and gentlemen. It is Mark Lowry. I know a lot of people sing it, but he should. Do you get any credits for that, Mark, whenever they sing that song? Well, uh when you say credit like I, financially I, like money oh yeah yeah royalties royalty yeah good, good if good. they record it and if they sell a lot of them yeah. i know they don't, you still get paid you know i know you there's a guy named Celo who was famous on i think the voice or some show and he actually sang the song and people like oh i'm like no mark no there's a, a the acapella group yeah they oh yes well at uh the uh the uh, there's been the pentatonics group is that what you're talking about i think different people and there's a lady that sang it made it a disco song and she actually uh something katherine w she sang it she did a good job yes she's uh actually incredible she did a disco version a friend of mine was on the disco floor with his phone in the air, jumping up and down, saying, Mark, your song is playing in the disco. And I looked her up and she enunciates every word. You can understand every word. So I was thrilled. This is amazing, amazing. Now, remember, Mark, when you started, when you first started, you were very young and you and God called you to be a singer songwriter, correct? Not a comedian. Well, yeah, I was in college. And I and I thought it was the Lord. You know, I'm Baptist. We don't really know when the Lord's speaking to us or not, because <laughs> He doesn't speak to us audibly. He does. He leaves. You know, all the Pentecostals they get the audible callings, but Baptists we have to learn to listen in our hearts. I guess because <laughs> I've never heard any voice of God or anything. But I felt like that particular day, the Lord really impressed on me that I was supposed to go into music, Christian music. That's what I felt like. You know, so. <clears throat> I started singing and then I would go to these churches, you know, and sing. And I had to do something while the little old man in the back of the church would change the soundtrack because <laughs> each song was on one cassette tape, you know? Oh, that's right. And so I would set them in order. And then as I would sing, he would put one in, take one out. You know, that's back in the day when uh, it was one song on each cassette back. That's how I did it. And that little old man took forever. So I started talking and I noticed when, when I would tell my stories about my life that people listened, you know, they listened a lot better when I was talking than when I was singing, it seemed to me like <laughs> I'd see them counting ceiling tiles while I was singing. But when I would talk, they would sit up on the edge of their seats. They'd listen and they would laugh. That's how I knew they were listening because independent fundamental Baptists, Back in that day, they would not clap because that's giving, that's bringing, you know, giving glory to man. Right. <laughs> they wouldn't shout because they're afraid someone might think they're doing it in another language. <laughs> but they would laugh. And that's how I knew they were listening because they were laughing. And all I cared about is, are they listening? Because if they're not listening, what, what a waste of time. 
There's time and my time. That's true. You know, one of the things that I remember the funniest when I first heard of you many years ago, that you took the word from all my heart and you're going, why we're using our heart? We can, why can't we say, I love you from the bottom of my kidney? Or, <laughs> well, you know, the scripture, there's somewhere in scriptures, I can't remember right now, because I hadn't thought about this in a long time, where it says the seat of the emotions is the bowels. <laughs> the bowels b-o-w-e-l-s bowels i saw that one day i thought wow and i started thinking well what would you do say i love you with my all my bowels <laughs> you, you know you broke you broke my bowels <laughs> or you know everywhere you where you could say heart put bowels and it it became a pretty funny bit that's funny. You know, even though you were a singer, you were with the Gaithers, which is like the biggest, I mean, uh, Gaither was, it's still huge. And you actually were, the, what do you call it? The, the word I'm looking for is you were, I tried to look at in the dictionary today. So I'm not, you're not only a pioneer, but you are a trailblazer because you were the first one. I, I mean, I came into comedy in 1990. I was not a Christian yet. I was mm -hmm. doing the clubs and the comedy. And then when I accepted Christ in 1992 and started Christian comedy in 93, you were the name, you were the one there. And you were the actually the, the legitimate one out there that in a time where I was in California and you were, you were in the, you know, in the South where it's even harder. And I used to call people and say, hey, I'm a Christian comedian. You go, you're of the devil. But, <laughs> But you were a trailblazer. You actually opened well, the was, road for all was, Christian comedy. Well, there was a couple before me. I know. What's his name? Mike, Mike Warnke. Okay. And um, Jerry Jerry Carley or Jerry Jerry Crowley. Clower was he wasn't really Christian. It was a. I mean, Jerry Clower was a Christian, but he did country comedy right there was one they they the uh they give the award i got the award what's it oh come on mark oh i know who you're talking about he was on hee-haw okay oh, but I'm but you were actually i'll tell you what i know warnicky did a while and stopped uh yeah you know after what happened grady but, nut grady oh nut. grady nut the grady, grady nut, nut award yeah yes. i never got to meet grady nut but i i I have his award. I so. think we gave it to you at the Christian Comedy Association when I think I was the president at the time when we well, the gospel the music association is the one that had then we're not the one know. we gave you something else, but I, I you, you were out of town. <laughs> but that's awesome. Hey, so, so are you still part of that? Yeah, I'm still part of it. I'm no longer president or on the board I, because I've been touring a lot. But uh, yeah, I'm still there. And you were you were very influenced. You and Shonda did a lot for it. Well, you and Ken Davis and all that. So you, yeah, those now, are good people. So yeah, you were in my book. You were the one that for me I looked to because you opened the door. Like okay, you can do comedy here. I could not sing for the life of me, but you opened the door for us and you tell stories and tell us because when what is the magic about the story? Because you tell the greatest stories. Well, to me, it's the one thing because I've had ADD all my life. I used to have ADHD, but when I turned 50, I dropped the H because I'm not <laughs> I'm too tired to be I'm too old, too tired to be that hyper. Uh -huh. But I still have ADD. But when I was a kid, when there, there were preachers that would come to our church who could paint a picture with words, 
Mm. I mean, they just owned the language. And there was one named B.R. Lakin. He was an old man and he'd raise his hand and his hand would shake and he'd talk about when, when the Lord Jesus walked down that aisle and asked me, what can I do for you? I mean, he gives a salvation testimony that would just knock your socks off. So I would be on the edge of my seat. But this same preacher, B.R. Lakin, would do a 20-minute comedy routine before he ever started preaching. Every night, it was at least 20 minutes of just funny what joke, joke, you know, uh, preacher jokes and stuff. I don't even know. It was just mesmerizing to me. And uh-huh. then the next thing, before you knew it, this funny preacher had you at the feet of Jesus and you never saw it coming. Mm. And I loved that. And, uh, and so when the Lord called me to do this and I found out that I wasn't going to be the greatest singer to ever sing, but because I would go to the Estes Park thing. Do you remember that? The yes, I remember in Colorado. Yeah. Yeah. I would go to that as a registrant for years and I'd sit back there and I was doing 200 concerts a year at that time. I was doing uh, Roy Morgan was booking me. Yeah. And he would take a road map, you know, world map and a yardstick. And if it reached, he thought, no, no, that was an old, that was another joke. I'd say <laughs> it'd take a world map and a yardstick. And if it reached, he thought we could drive it in a weekend. But, <laughs> but no, I, Roy booked me 43 concerts in 41 days right out of college. I mean, all, all the way across America and back. And it was independent Baptist churches. And I had honed my craft over those eight years from 1980 to 1988 mm. when I was doing about 200 concerts a year. Wow. Uh, I would, I learned how to make Baptists laugh. <laughs> and if you can make independent Baptists laugh, you can make anybody laugh, I guess. That's true. But, uh, so I would go to Estes Park and I'd sit back there and I'd hear Steve Green. Oh, yeah. what a singer. Larnell Harris, Sandy yeah. Patty, uh, Sheila Walsh, Twyla Paris. I'm trying to think of all the ones that were so big. And I was a little, you know, I was one of the registrants on the back row, just shaking. Well, I would sit there and think to myself, you know, I know I can't out sing any of them, but I can out talk all of them. <laughs> <laughs> that's and that's what I would think. And I never thought of myself as a comedian. I thought of myself as a storyteller that would was trying to get to the next song. So I'd sing a song in my my church services that I would do, and I would talk, tell a little story, give the man time to change this. You know, that's where it started. But right. then as I started telling my stories, they got longer and longer, and it was and it became more magical. And I found out. That's what I was supposed to be doing. You know, the the humor and uh, where I thought it was just a, you know, something to do to make sure they're listening. It eventually became the thing, you know, would would you rather tell a story or sing a song if you have like four minutes? Well, if I've got a good story, like right now, I think I've got a lot of good stories, but I think everybody's heard them. But if I have a new good story, <laughs> I know what you're no one's heard before, but I know is going to kill them. Oh, please. I'd rather do a story any day. I mean, I just, I love to hear people laugh. 
Would you rather write a comedy bit or write a song? Write a song. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Because there's royalties. <laughs> <laughs> But you always like, you, even though you're hilarious, I mean, you are, in my book, you're a comedian. But you always stayed away from that title. You always pushed as entertainer, singer, songwriter. I, don't, I just don't feel like I'm, and it's not because I think there's anything wrong with being a comedian. I just don't think I am one. A comedian, in my mind, is someone who tells three jokes on a subject, and then they change the subject until three new jokes on a new subject. Mm -hmm. I saw Jerry Seinfeld do it when I went to see him in concert. I left there knowing nothing about him, mm. but I had laughed many, many times. But it was not a like I left. Oh, I, I feel like I know Jerry Seinfeld and his family and, uh, you know, his kids, because he doesn't really do any stories about he's a comedian. He is a true right. comedian in my brain. And then even though Bill Cosby ended up being a belly flopper, <laughs> um, he was a master storyteller. And you yeah. I saw him in concert and I left thinking I knew him mm. and thinking that I knew his wife, his kids, because he tells, you know, stories on his and I and and all the preachers that would come to our church that were funny would tell stories on their families. But, you know, Mark, I struggled with that because when I, I started in the clubs and in the clubs, you do the joke, 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 like how many men in a minute I wanted to get nine to 12, which was very high number. But I've nine always to 12 laughs, laughs a minute, which is yeah. I was trying for the hard, the, you know, like they used to call me the machine gun of comedy because I just want to get. Then I started when I accepted Christ, started doing the churches. I found that like hitting them hard with all the comedy. They didn't want that. They want to know more about me so i started slowing it down i'm still doing you know i'm not doing 12 because i gotta tell a story now and and you're right now they feel they know you and they come to you like oh i know you oh, well i don't think you do but you're right the but story you know they know a facet of you you know and it's not it's you know i'm looking all the time for new stories i can tell on myself you know mm -hmm. but they're not That, you know, I don't break a leg every year, you know, when all my stories have come from horrific experiences, you know, mm -hmm. like a, my motorcycle story, it's hysterical, but it, it hurt. I broke my you leg. Broke, yeah. Yeah. I broke my leg getting that story. And then the, when I pivot on your good foot, one of my old stories, I broke 11 bones getting that story, <laughs> you know? So I said, Lord, could I please have some new material that doesn't hurt? <laughs> but you But, had you had a story that really impacted my family i'll tell you which one uh, you have a brother named michael who's older than you and a little sister right right But you used to tell the story that your dad at night would put you and michael and make stories where you guys are the superheroes yeah and, and for years i did that with my kids after I uh -huh. heard it from you. And I, and I gave you the credit for it, of course. I But I would it. tell my story. And my kids would just love it and will be in the problem. And then, you know, John and Carol superheroes will save the day. And yeah. that was a power. You remember that story, right? Oh, yes, yes. He bought yeah. a skull that glowed in the dark at Disneyland. <laughs> and it would peek around the doorpost, you know, and come floating into the darkness. And daddy would say long ago and far away as he floated that skull over our little bed. 
there were two boys named Mike and Mark. And I'd go, that's us, you know? <laughs> and uh, he'd scare the holy something out of you, right? You know, I, but, but at the very end of the story, it didn't matter how big the monster, how ooey gooey the castle, the horrific, you know, imagination of my father at the perfect time, he was going to turn that story and Mike and Mark were going to become superheroes and kill the monster and save the day. And, and it was always an adventure. And then he would tell us a story about the Lord before we go to bed. And those were always good too. So I learned a lot about storytelling from my father. Amen. And that's, you know, if anybody watching or listening to this, I think this is the best uh, advice with your kids or your grandkids to share stories like Mark's dad used to tell them, because it's really, it did something for my kids. They weren't scared of like, oh, there's a monster under the bed and they're ready to go. They don't care. <laughs> <laughs> now tell me, uh, you had a normal growing up, you have a loving mom and dad. Yes, they spanked you because, oh, yeah. you know, our parents used to spank us at the time. Uh, but when did you feel like you did you automatically were inherited the faith or you had at a point where you rebelled and then and then you came back to Christ? Well, um, I don't think I ever rebel. I mean, some people might look at some some things I did and think I was rebelling, but I never went anywhere. You know, Jesus said the well, God said through David when he wrote Psalm. Psalms, he said, though I make my bed in hell, you are there, you know, so there's nowhere you can go that you're out of the care of your father. Right. You know, and, and, um, and I met the Lord at church camp when I was 14, mm. I invited him into my heart and I became, you know, I got saved. We say in the Baptist church, you know, <laughs> and, um, and uh, from that moment on, I knew I wanted to sing about him. I wanted to talk about him. I wanted to learn more about him because um, he was he seemed like the nicest thing I'd ever run across. Anybody would love you enough to die for you surely is on your side. And right. so I thought I'd follow him or at least do my best to try to follow him. And um, went to college and the Lord called me to do this while I was there. And that's really the whole journey. And looking back now, now that I'm 61, I really do think he called me to do this. You know? Yes. There's no going back and changing that. But, no. the, you know, you, you bless so many people. And I toured with you and I've seen the reaction from the audience. And I, you know, I love what you do because at the end of 99% of my shows, I end up with giving an invitation to Christ. And a lot of comedians, like, like you don't do that. You don't, you close on a big laugh. I go, well, my whole purpose of doing this comedy is to get them to that last point where they accept Christ. And well, if you're you, called to do humor for humor's sake, you know, have fun, go do it. But I wasn't, I, right. and you weren't, you know, we're, we have, there's an agenda to our, our uh, madness of humor, at least for me, to me, it was yes. just to make the Baptists listen <laughs> just so I would know they were listening. Cause I know you cannot laugh if you aren't listening. That's true. You will not. I mean, there's no way you got to be listening to laugh. And that's how I knew they were listening. And so to me, it just became like, oh, gosh, they're listening. And I want to woo the bride to the bridegroom. I want to convince people that a man rose from the dead. 
I want to let people know that God is not angry with you. He is your loving father whose arms are wide open still. You know, he's crazy about us. You know that song? Oh, you may not remember this, but when I was growing up, there was a song we'd sing in Sunday school. Be careful, little feet, where you go. Be Be careful. careful. Oh, I know it, of course. I used to think my feet, I have hyper feet. They can't be careful. (laughs) And, and, uh, you know, think the father up above is looking down in love. But I always thought he's just, you know, back then I would think he's waiting for me to do something wrong. But as I've grown to know him, I do believe he's watching everything you do. But it's not so he can stomp you. It's because he loves you so much you can't take his eyes off of you. Amen. You are the apple of his eye. I believe when I enter my father's presence, his heart skips a beat. Like any healthy father when their child enters their presence. Amen. Amen. Don't you think? Of course. A healthy father or grandfather, especially. I can't imagine. You know, I never got married, never had kids, so I missed that part. Uh-huh. But you know, I'm great. I'm, I don't regret that at all. Um, well, I think God showed you for someone who's doing 200 dates a year, you were God was like, I'm not going to get this guy busy with anything else. Now that will get us to, but I want to ask you one question before we get to that, because you are the most satisfied single. I know you're very right. happy. Yeah. You're very well, happy. You're but very I'm not fulfilled. Alone. Yeah. But the thing is I'm not alone. And that's why I want you to give several advice to single people. Like, well, you don't you have do to it? be alone. I mean, I have, uh, I, I'm surrounded by lifelong friends that I actually grew up with. I live in a, what I call a compound. Uh, when I was moving back to Houston about 20 years ago, uh, one of my best friends from uh, really elementary school, seventh grade, that's not elementary, that's middle school, but Uh, Dina Davidson is her name. She said, why don't we buy a piece of property and subdivide it? You build your house. I'll build my house. And, you know, we can grow old, grow old as neighbors. And we did. And uh, we got a pool between us and a pool house. And we've had guests that people have uh, come to recover everything from cancer to plastic surgery in that pool house, you know. And it's just been a, a community almost. Been, How many of your friends are doing plastic surgery that they need well, to recover? <laughs> not mine, but Dina, she, she's in the secular, you know, she, I've always been in, in my little Christian world and Dina's always been in the secular, you know, corporate world. And so she knows a lot of interesting people that I would never run across. And I've introduced her to a lot of wonderful people that she would never have met. So it's been a really good situation now so you're surrounded with friends all the time you have like last time i called you, you said you have four ladies that cook for you <laughs> yeah I do. I do. colleen dana shelly and deborah that we're all going through the covid thing together and uh and those ladies cook at my house every night because they don't want me going out to eat and I will go out to eat. I got to yeah. eat. <laughs> you got to eat. <laughs> and so they're cooking it for me. And I'm telling you, I, I'm going to, you know, that meme that was going around about when this is over now, will 600 pound life contact me or do I need to contact them? Have you, because <laughs> I've gained some, have you ever seen the 600 pound life? No, I didn't. I On TV? No, I didn't. 
Oh, the 600 pound life. Yeah. Yeah. That show where they keep following someone. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yes. I'm going to need to be on that show. (laughs) You know, I always tell people, I said, there's a thin line between uh, quarantining and hibernation. (laughs) And I can't find it. I can't find it. Have you have you have you taken a lot of naps? Uh, you know what I've been doing? I've been doing a, a nightly live show called Live with Nas Quarantining in Corona every night for an hour. And what happened is it's a lot of work, you know, put, putting together an hour show every night. Except now, where, where can we see this on your Facebook page? On my personal Facebook page, which is Comedian Nazareth One. Uh, is you can see it every night. And what I do is, you know what? I just felt the Lord was telling me again. I'm came from Southern Baptist, so the Lord never said it's me talking to you. Right. Uh, so it was like, okay, I'm. I wanted to do a show where I'm not the funny guy. I, you know, I start with some comedy, but then I want the audience to be funny. So I said, okay, guys, here's the question for you tonight. Okay, now the churches are online. What would be their name changes to? And then you get, uh, and then the people start commenting. I have a thousand views sometimes, sometimes 500. And people say, okay, this would be called the Slow Connection Church of God. The, you know, the Chapel of the Sheltered Brethren, Church of Jesus Christ of Non-Essential Saints, stuff. And these are people coming with that joke and they're feeling funny. So, and then started going down from a thousand views to like 807. So I said, you know what? That's a lot of work. I'm not even getting anything done through the quarantine. And I get these emails, Mark, or, the, you know, messages. You know what? I've been, I've been anxious and depressed. And this is my only, my only time of the day that I get to be, to be funny and forget about my problems. So I'm still doing that until California opens up, hopefully. Yeah. But that's uh, that's why I do that show. So I haven't had time to do anything else. Uh-huh. But, doing, you know, sometimes I get invited by churches like tomorrow I'm doing 20 minutes on Zoom for comedy for corporate people. I'm like, OK, <laughs> we'll see what yeah. we're going to do. But uh, tell me what 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 may, when do you feel creative? Is there a process? Is there a time? Mm-hmm. What when do you feel creative to write songs or comedy stories? Well, if I hear for a song, if I hear a good hook, which, you know, a good phrase or good that I haven't heard before in a song, maybe uh, is always how that works. But um, uh, the humor usually has happened for me on the stage, actually. I think that's why the secular comedians do so many of those little clubs, which we don't get to do. So I honed my stories in little churches from 1980 to 1988. I had probably two albums worth of stories by that time. Right. That I did eventually record for word records. And, um, but a lot of that would happen, you know, I'd be driving Every 200 miles, I'd be at another church. So I had a lot of time alone in the car, driving down the road, thinking this is way before serious radio or right. cell phones. I had a pad and pen next to me in the car. Uh-huh. And I would be thinking about stuff and get to laughing, just thinking about stuff. And I'd pull over and write it down. You know? <laughs> and that's literally what I would do. And then that night, I would talk about that. And so that's how it kind of, you know, evolved. And you built your, your you know, comedy. But when do you, how often do you write a new song? 
I have when I need it, when there's a deadline, like um, I did my latest project. Um, boy, my nose is shiny. I did my la- <laughs> my latest project <laughs> called What's Not to Love. I got with Reba Rambo and Donnie McGuire, and we wrote that. Well, we wrote four of those songs, and it took. Uh, you know, we we could write three a day, maybe we did when we were together and, and cause we weren't, we didn't get to be together very long. So we had to get, knock it out, but, um, but they may not, you know, I like the songs, but who knows, you never know if a song's going to connect with an audience until mm-hmm. the audience hears it. You might think they'll love it. You know, you might hope they'll love it, but until they hear it, they, you, they decide, you know, if it's, a good song just like the audience decides if it's a good joke or not you're right you, you know? i think it's funny and then i go try it a couple of times doesn't work now is there's like a group of people in nashville that listens to a song and decide oh this one has a potential is gonna make it or no is well this true? each publisher has their uh publishing directors and re- each record company has an artist and repertoire director which is a person who brings, who finds good songs and gets them to the, the artists they think should sing them on their record label. Um, but there's not a committee somewhere, you know, saying, oh, that's, we approve that song. We don't approve that one. No, the, the audience decides, really. Now tell me, you, okay, you were on tour on your own for about 200 days a year for eight years on your own doing comedy and singing and then you join the Gaithers where there's you have now to go with the agenda of four other people the quartet that was with you and you have to go with their agenda and with their program what was that like how did you handle that oh it's fascinating um especially for someone with ADD because I had the quartet over here when I got bored with that I could go do my solo stuff in 1988, I joined the Gaither Vocal Band, but I also signed a solo contract with Word Records. And that's oh. how the solo humor comedy thing took off. But at the same time, the vocal band thing was taken off. So they were both complimenting each other, really. Oh, they didn't interfere with each other. You, no. When the Gaither said, you have to be with us for all but these. We things. were with him. Whenever he wanted us, we were there. And we worked our schedule around his. Yeah, I, I toured with David Phelps and I toured with you and I did one thing with the Gaithers in Indiana Convention Center. That was my my only performance and my highest selling <laughs> product sale. Of really? Oh, yeah, it was it was big. But uh, that's awesome. But you were with them every night and you're you were like the the fun part of the whole when they do. I mean, they have different people singing and stuff, but you were boom. You were always funny when you were, and it was, and I can tell it wasn't something you just wrote. One time you took your shoes off and you started singing. Oh, yeah. I kind of wiped yeah. my nose down. Oh, no, it's uh, okay. It's still <laughs> shining. It doesn't yeah, matter. I see the shine. I can't believe how greasy I look. But no, uh, no. <laughs> uh, no uh, it was, that was so much fun because, you know, Gaither's crowds were so massive. Right. You know, when there's like, I mean, at one point we'd have 18,000 people in the audience. Well, all you got to do is get half of them laughing. And you, and you, got- <laughs> you know, you don't even have to get them all laughing. Just get half of them laughing and you're going to have a lot of laughter. 
That's right. So it was it was fun. What's your best memory with Gaither? What do you think? Probably um, the first praise gathering that I did. They did an event called Praise Gathering back in the I day. Remember. Yeah. And he turned me loose on that stage with uh, to tell some stories. And and it was le- there were 11,000 people there. And I'd never been in front of 11,000 people in my life. Mm-hmm. And um, it was in the round, which means the stage was in the in the yeah. center. Oh, and that's the hot. People, the people were all the way around you. Oh, my gosh. It was so I've never been so I felt like I was incubated in laughter. I've never heard laughter so loud. I've never heard it coming from every direction towards me, no matter where I And it was perfect that night. Everything was perfect. Oh, I, I mean, it, it was like, you know what it's like yeah. when you, you, you throw the joke out and then they hit it back. It's like playing tennis and you hit it again and they hit it back. And, you know, it's like you throw a line and they laugh and then you throw another one before the and you time it. So right about when it peaks, you hit them again. You know, you know what that's like. It's oh, you know what? I know it not as much as you do, but I remember what, speaking of Houston, Texas, where you're from. I did the Toyota Arena for men's conference. There were 17,000 men. So I went up and they told me to do 20 minutes. And I did my 20 minutes and it killed everything full perfect. And then they had, they brought RG3, the, the football player to go. And then they come to me and say, hey, Naz, we want you to close the show. Do another 20 minutes. I'm like, wait. It took me a month to prepare. I said, okay, okay, just give me five minutes. And I went up and did the same thing. I mean, different material, but it killed. And I know the feeling when you say something and it's like everything, you can just shake your hand and they're going to, you know, move your hand, they're going to laugh. But it was one of those nights. But to be in the set, I hated being in a circle stage because I always want to see the audience and I don't want anybody behind me. You know how you do it. So when you you try to make sure you tell the jokes, but there's people behind you. Yeah, but you have they had cameras everywhere. Right. Nobody was out of view of my face because they always had the cameras right on this big old waterhead. (laughs) And that way everybody saw it. If my back was to you, you could still see me big as day up on the screen. So that, you know, that was with Gaither. It was just a perfect scenario. You know. Now, where is Gaither now? Are they still performing? Are they still oh, yeah. doing stuff? Yeah, not as much, but he's 83 or four now and still mm-hmm. going wide open. You know, really? I mean, what I think is wide open. He's got two tour buses and the, you know, <laughs> all this stuff, you know, and they're That's still fun. packing crowds, you know, good crowds. Now, you. When did you think about the song, Mary, did you know? Because a lot of people don't know. You're the one who originated, you wrote that song. Tell us about that. Well, I wrote the lyric. The lyrics to it. I wrote the words in 1984. And in 1991, Buddy Green put music to it. And uh, then also in 91, Michael English recorded it. And then Kathy Matea recorded it shortly after that. And then uh, Kathleen Battle, an op- so it went from contemporary Christian music uh-huh. to country, Kathy Matea, to classical, 
the first three cuts of it were three different genres of music. I mean, that was strange. And then it's gone every, you know, of course it's gone all different kinds of um, styles, but I like them all really. I've not heard one I didn't like. Every Christmas play I watched live or I performed, they had to, they had to sing it. It was just amazing. And uh, my son was asking me, I said, I told my audience, I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do my best to, to make Mark sing a couple lines of it. And then my son goes, he would never do that. And I go, well, maybe if I, you know, do some favor with him. Would you sing a little? I know every day you have a, tea, oh, uh, a yeah. live show. Go ahead. Go for sing it. A little bit of Mary, did you know? Yeah. Oh. Because you're the best yeah. at singing it. Oh. Mary, did you know that your baby boy will one day walk on water? Mary, did you know that your baby boy will save our sons and daughters. Did you know that your baby boy has come to make you new? This child that you've delivered will soon deliver you. Wow, that's amazing. That's amazing. Now tell me, how did you think of the lyrics? How did you, how did, how long or how did it come to you? You know, in 1984, my pastor called me and asked me if I would write the Living Christmas Tree program for our church. And being young in 1984, I actually was young at one time. And uh, I, I didn't, I didn't realize I couldn't write a Christmas musical. You know, I mean, I wouldn't want to write one now. I, 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 well, I might like to try it now, but back then I shouldn't have been trying to write one. So, but I did. I said, yeah, I'd love to, because I was starting to write songs and he liked the way I thought about things. So he said, would you do it? So I said, okay. Well, the only good thing that came out of that probably was this one monologue I wrote between songs uh, about Mary and what did she know? What, uh, was that like, you know, for a 13 year old girl, that's what my college professor at Liberty said, uh, that she was probably around 13 when the angel of the Lord. And, you know, mm. back then they did get started early cause they were dead by 40. That's right. You think about it at the turn of the last century, not this recent one, but the 1800s to the 1900s, the life expectancy of an American man was 42 years. Wow. I mean, that's young. That's young. So you got to have your babies and have a grandkid or two before <laughs> you check out, you know. <laughs> and so Mary was young. And uh, uh, and and so you think, well, she, 13 is young, no matter what millennial you're in. You know, right. she she was young. And did she know? And, you know, of course, there's been a lot of controversy over the song in some circles that think I'm oh. mansplaining to her. I read that somewhere. Another oh. one said, uh, oh, uh, there's, you know, that when I say the child that you delivered will soon deliver you, there are some Catholics who are offended by that oh. because they don't think Mary needs to be delivered of anything, oh, I which uh, I think every one of, I believe uh, all of us need Christ, including Amen. Mary, you know, she birthed her own savior. 
And um, well, she said that when she sang, you know, my, my savior. Yes. So, yeah. so, so she know. knew that part of it, but she didn't know he would walk on water. She didn't know. So when I wrote it, I wasn't writing it, trying to explain to this child what's going to happen to her as the superior. I wrote it like I think of things. I thought I, I picture a manger in my head, a manger scene in a stable, a little girl holding the Messiah in her arms, uttering unintelligible baby noises was the word of God lying in her arms. Mm. And I think I'm getting chills right now thinking about it. My mother and I used to talk about this. Wouldn't you love to have run into that stable and said, do you realize this baby is going to walk on water? He's going to heal the sick. He's going to, it's like, it's like when I was a kid, I would run up and say, do you have any idea what's going on down here at the park? We're having a blast. And, you know, it's like that. It wasn't like I'm explaining. He's like, ah, this is exciting. And how sad for those people in the motel. Yes. They missed God being born in the barn. They were just feet away. They were sleeping like logs. They had a room. There was no room for Mary and Joseph in the inn. But there are a lot of people in that end that day that missed God being born in the barn. Can you believe that? Yeah. I mean, that kind of thing. Yeah. And then I was, you know, a lot of the questions I had for Mary didn't make the song. The only ones that made the song were the ones that rhymed. Uh, you know, a lot of questions I'd like, what was it like raising God? What was it like changing God's diapers? What was it like teaching the word of God to talk? What was it like being his little brothers following him through school? You know, well, well that'd be hard. You're old. He, you know, the teacher says, well, now when Jesus was in my class, he made straight A's. <laughs> well, sure. That's he wrote the book, you know? So I, my mother and I, we, we would discuss these things about what that was like. Cause uh, you know, we believe he was God, but he was also a man and he came to be one of, he humbled himself and became one of us. Amen. What is mom still around? No, she passed uh, in 2014. I'm sorry. And you're, I know you always, you know, the way you talk about her, I know you love your mom and dad. And is your oh, yeah. brother still a uh, brother still in Virginia? I think my brother's in Virginia. My sister's in Virginia. My dad's in Virginia. And, oh. my, mom, and my mom is buried in Virginia. They moved to Lynchburg. I went to college in 1975. They moved there in 1977. So they've been in Virginia longer than they were ever in Texas. But I told them, I don't know what you're doing up here. As <laughs> soon as I'm done, I'm headed back to Texas. But they but, loved it. But you moved to Nashville for a few yeah, years. Yeah, I've moved around. But my goal was always to get back to Texas. But I had to go to Nashville when I was with the vocal band, you know. Right. Uh, and I love Nashville. I love living there. But uh, this is my home. Would you would you take one more tour? Would you do one more tour? Probably not. Well, maybe. Uh, I don't know. If, probably not. It would just have to be. It would have to. I'd have to look at it and see what if, if it would be worth it. Because I can sit in my bedroom slash studio slash office and reach more people than I can on the road. If, I, if it's really about reaching people, and I do know that, and I don't have to make money anymore because I'm retired. I'm living on my retirement right now. So it's not about, you know, it's not about making a living. I would do it 
uh, if it was really fun. Mm. <laughs> I know Shonda would probably be part of it. I know you guys are very good friends. Uh, well, we've talked about Ken. it before, but it's just that we just never gotten around to it. Okay, I don't want to take much of your time anymore, but tell us about your Facebook show. I I, I hear you and you you sing uh, some from a Baptist hymnal. Red, but right where here. do you where do you get a book like that? <laughs> the, the Baptist hymnal. This is my. This, I grew up with this and many other different kinds of hymnals. There's one called an All American hymnal that uh, really was the one we had at the Berean Baptist Church. Uh-huh. But I love the old hymns. I love them. I grew up singing them. These are the songs of my youth. And they're every Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. So what, uh, what I started doing, I have a show that uh, I've been doing for a couple of years now called Mondays with Mark. Okay. I need to have you on that sometime. I would love that. Mondays with Mark every Monday night, 7 p.m. Central. And then when the pandemic hit and I'm sitting here alone, bored, I thought, well, I can go live every day and check in on my people because there's a lot of single people like me who are going through this all by themselves. Right. Fortunately, I'm not one of those people. I'm thankful that I'm not going through this by myself, but there are a lot that are. And I would go check in on them every day. And you would think, I mean, they're, they're so pre- appreciative you know, the comments I read, I've not had any negative comments. I thought for surely someone would say, you're on here too much. But, and I'm sure a lot, maybe some are thinking it, but no one's <laughs> No, I know, no, everybody is very, yeah, appreciative of you to be singing to them and talking to them every day. Well, I, right. pre- I hope they're singing with me because I think most of the people who follow me grew up on these songs also. And they tell me that they're singing along. And I, so I pretend I can hear the harmonies. Oh, that's awesome. Well, how can people watch it? Where can they go to watch your show? Just go to my Facebook page, Mark Lowry, and, uh, or my YouTube page, same name, Mark Lowry. Should bring it up. I, and, uh, and I call it Mark Lowry Live, and I call it episode. Like today was episode 45, and that's at 10 a.m. Let me, every day. Uh, Central time. Central time, 10 a.m. So it's 8 a.m. out there in California. Right. But uh, I can be your wake up call. That, <laughs> that's awesome. And you know what? It's amazing. I watch it and it's really lifting people up. Mark, thank you for what you do, what you've done and what you're going to do. I believe it's not. This is not you're retired. You're not retired. You're just taking a break. I'm not retired. I'm just no. not touring anymore like I used to, you know, um, I just want to do one-off dates every now and then and, and the fun stuff. How can people get your products? I know you, you have can a go lot to Mark, MarkLowry.com. In fact, this week, there's a code, I think. 20, what is the code? If you go to my Facebook page, you'll see a, 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 a ad that says the code. And it's 25% off everything on the website, so. Okay, well, good. If you go to marklowry.com or go to the Facebook Mark Lowry and then get the code, then go to his website and you'll be able to. Do. You used to do, on closing, you used to do a show with Tony Campola. I did. Uh, we did a couple of years worth of programs just on, on the web way before Facebook, I think. I remember that. I used to watch it a lot. It was on YouTube. In fact, I go back 
to 2006 on YouTube. That's a, that's a long time ago. But you were always ahead of technology. You were always ahead of technology. Well, I just knew that's going to be the way to reach people, more people, you know, reach them all at once. You know, Jesus said, he used to say, or he said this at one time back, of course, when he was, what am I saying? Jesus said, we would do greater things than he. And I always used to think, now, how? What does he mean by that? What could we possibly do that could be greater? But one thing we do that is greater than him, we can reach more people. Amen. Amen. In a moment's notice, we can reach around the world. People watch every day from India, Japan, uh, uh, Australia, New Zealand, uh, Canada, of course, and all of America. And it's amazing. And I don't have to leave my bedroom. <laughs> oh, it looks like you were in the backyard. Or was that just a green screen? No, uh, this is this is my... My bed's not made, so I've got the lights out. <laughs> Last thing, what do you tell a single person right now? Because you always say that Paul said it's better to be single. Uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, what do you tell Paul him? Paul did say that. Um, I don't think it's, I think it's probably better to, um, well, I think it, I think for me, it's better to be single for me. Cause I've yeah. always been single and I can't imagine anybody wanting to get married. I don't understand why you would want to give up your freedom like that, but that's just me. And it's always been me. And so here I am 61, no grandkids, but you know what? TD Jake said, if you get 80% out of life, you're doing good. That's, <laughs> you know? that's and right. I've gotten a lot more than 80%. And I think I've got a lot of spiritual grandkids out there. Amen. And your, your, your sister, your, your sister's kids and your brother's kids are in Virginia. Oh, well, so. no, no. My brother's kids are grown and out of the house. One is a nurse in Ohio. One is married to a fella in near Fort Worth, Texas, Dallas area. And then the other two are in Virginia yet and trying to figure out what they want to do. And they brag about Uncle Mark, right? Well, I don't know. <laughs> I'm <that>. sure. <laughs> well, well, thank you so much for what you do. I want to encourage everyone listening, you know, go to YouTube, Mark Lowry, go to his uh, live show every morning at 8 a.m. Pacific time and 10 a.m. Central. You guys not only going to laugh, you're going to be blessed and it's going to draw you closer to the Lord. Mark, thank you for what you do. You blessed my life. You helped my career and I appreciate you. And oh, I love you, man. Thank you, Nazareth. God bless you. I appreciate you. All right. We'll talk later. And you watch us tonight at 8.30 p.m. You'll, no, you'll be in bed. But 8.30 you, my time or your time? Uh, my time, which is 10.30. You... my time. Oh, I'll be asleep. So some of your fans stays up and if they're <laughs> lonely, they can check Comedian Nazareth. God bless yes. you. Thank you, Mark. Bye I love bye, you, buddy. man. I appreciate love you it. Too. Thank you.